0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode nine of the podcast. My name is Aaliyah and I have a pretty good sized panel with me today. I have Mr. Jeff Bishop.
1: Good afternoon everybody.
0: Mr. Matt Durkins. Good hello. Mr. TJ Malloy.
2: Hello everybody.
0: And Miss Jade Sharp. Hello everyone. Today we are going to be talking about transition between guides. That involves, you know, retirement, grief, those kinds of things. It's it's a heavy subject, but definitely something we uh, need to discuss. And we have people with a wide variety of experiences here. We have someone who has never retired a dog. A couple of us have retired one, and a couple of us have retired more than one. We have a good mix here of folks and... Uh, We wanted to, you know, just kind of have an open discussion and tell some stories about, you know, how did you know it was time? How, what were the circumstances? What, how did you make that decision? And, you know, just talking about what, what all that process was like for you. Um, It's going to be a little more open, a little less structured than most of our episodes, but I wanted to get a few people in here and talk about it. So, Um, Jeff, let's go ahead and start with you.
1: Today, I would like to tell you two stories about my first two seeing eye dogs. First, there was Sunny and then Tawny. Now, Sunny was a shepherd and I received her in 1985 from the seeing eye. In fact, if it weren't for Sunny, I don't think I would be married today. Sunny introduced me to Carrie in a class and a few years later, We were married, and we've been married for about 30 years now. So, thank you, Sonny. Now, Carrie and I and Sonny moved out to California in 1989, and we lived there for about nine months. About three months in, Sonny got very, very sick. We really never found out why or what was wrong. But we knew that there was obviously something very, very wrong. We woke up in the morning, and it was a—it was very evident. So we took her to the vet, and they kept her. And they gave us a call a few days later and told us, you need to come in and see her. They told us that she lost quite a bit of weight and that they weren't sure that they would be able to do anything more for her. So Carrie and I got in the car and drove there and went and saw Sunny. I went back to see her, and in typical fashion of Sunny, she was such a hard worker. She got up, even with all the tubes connected to her, and wanted to go. She wanted to work, but I could tell that she wasn't very strong. I reached out and held her, and I could tell she laid her head on my shoulder that she was tired and it really saddened me and I spent time with her and I I petted her and talked with her and told her it was okay to go across that rainbow bridge and I brought a leash with me and I connected it to her collar and I continued to talk to Sunny and thanked her for all the things that she did for me Then, I removed her collar, gave her one last hug goodbye, and I couldn't be in the room when they sent her over that bridge. It was already too hard. Well, Carrie went and said goodbye, and we proceeded to leave, and it was a really difficult time. We struggled living in California, and this just made it even worse. It was a, really rough time. I remember going back to our apartment It's all we could, that we could afford living there at that time. And I remember standing outside by the gate. The gate was right near our apartment door. And I grabbed the gate and I shook it and I screamed. I was so angry and so hurt and, and blamed myself. And it was just, even though it really wasn't anything that I had done. And I called the seeing eye and I spoke to David Liu. And I'm really thankful for him. The moral here, I think, is to remember that sometimes we don't have control over what may happen. And we should cherish the moments we have and be thankful for all the love and joy that our guide dogs bring us and cherish it. Tawny lived with us for about 12 years. And she grew up around our family. Or should I say, our family grew up around her. My two kids were born, and they loved Tawny to death. In fact, David really, really loved Tawny. And she was a hard worker. And I retired her about the age of 12. And as she was getting older, when I would take her to the vet, and I, as I would groom her and take care of her, I would notice that her face was changing. It looked like it was sort of going in. And so we took her to the vet and we found out about the time that we retired her, actually a few years before that, that something was happening with her face, that she was losing muscle within her face. And they told us that eventually that it would be difficult for her to eat or for her to open and close her jaw. Well, I remember getting up one morning, and we had to give Tawny lots of special medication to make her be comfortable, because she still loved being with the family, and she enjoyed when other family would come to visit her, and she would come out and wag her tail, and she was such a friendly friendly little girl. One morning, I got up, and I finished getting ready, and I took Tawny out, brought her back inside, and proceeded to give her her medication. And generally, she took pills very, very well. And I gently opened her mouth and tried to put the medication in her mouth, and she bit me. I don't think in a way of saying, you know, in a mean way. In fact, I know she didn't because she immediately laid down and um, I called Carrie over and and we uh, checked on her and we tried to see if Tawny would be willing to take it and she just clamped her mouth closed as as to say daddy I've had enough no more no more daddy it broke my heart Well, so we proceeded to take her to the vet and uh, again had that long conversation about can we do anything to help her? And the vet agreed with us that she was giving us a sign that she was telling us that it was her time. This time I was able to stay with her and I'm not sure if that was just because the situations were different or because I was older and more mature and was able to handle that better I don't know for sure but in either case she passed on and went over that bridge too I'm thankful for the time that she had to spend with me and to help me throughout my life and to be a companion to my family and to my children and for all the love that she shared with me and those around her. She was an amazing girl. I think the story or the moral here is that remember to listen to our dog's voice. I think it's important. All of our seeing eye dogs and guide dogs that we have no matter what school you get them from leave impressions upon all of those people that they're around but they definitely leave impressions upon our heart and both Sunny and Tawny have left a permanent paw print on mine. Thank you girls. I love you.
0: Thanks for that Jeff and um, I guess I should have put at the beginning of the episode tissue alert tissue alert Mm -hmm. um these stories aren't easy but we all are together and sharing them with you because it's something important to consider and it's something something to think about matt what about you
3: So I have a a couple of interesting stories because my first dog is from Guiding Eyes. She's now retired and living in Colorado, but she retired very early. She retired at a year and a half and she got emotional, like environmental emotional stress. And um, I knew it was time to hang up her harness and leash because when we would work, she would just start urinating and defecating inside buildings, outside buildings, just willy-nilly whenever. And she just was kind of lethargic and didn't really want to work anymore. So I called Guiding Eyes, and I talked to my field rep, Dave Hagman, and I talked to Graham Buck, who uh, is the assistant director of training, and they were fantastic. They were really supportive. They helped me kind of come to a decision of maybe, you know, maybe you should retire this dog. And... They were fantastic because I was really worried. Like, you know, it, it got to the point where there was there was blood in her stool at one point And, you know, she had had a bunch of UTIs uh, before that. And she had to go back to the school um, in November of uh, 2016. And then she came back in uh, January of 2017. And then she retired a month later. She retired February 21st at 7 o'clock in the morning when she left i remember i remember you know waiting dave came and got her and he uh you know was was talking to me and i remember saying goodbye to Marilyn. i gave her a hug she gave me a little kiss and that was it (laughs) and it took me a year or so to really go okay i need to get another dog and you know reapply but it it I think your first dog really, you know, it's your first dog, it's not meant to be your last, unless that's your choice, obviously. But for me, I'm like, nope, I want another dog, I'm going to apply. Well, I applied to Guiding Eyes, and unfortunately they um, denied me, so I applied to Guide Dogs of America, and uh, in April of this year, I got my second dog, Frankie, who... Black Lab. Now it was because during the end of second week, no, beginning of third week, uh, we did our vet visits and uh, we were going through the history of the dog and um, the vet did a checkup and she goes, "Hey, I'm noticing an irregular heartbeat on the right side of your dog. We need to get this looked at like right now." And so we did, and the results came back. And this was the worst part. So they they got the results, and uh, it was right after lunchtime. And they said, hey, Matt, can you go to your room? We have the results. We want to talk to you about Frankie. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? So they, they come back. They said, and this was the director of training and then uh, another lady who I can't remember what she does. But they came in, and they said, your dog has something called a TVD which is something valve dysplasia and it was a heart murmur on the right side of her heart and they were like if we you know if we let this dog continue to work our issue would be that she could essentially like either have a heart attack or die because the stress of training might be too much so they said, uh, it, it's your choice. You can keep her or, you know, we can talk about retirement. And I said, well, I don't want to, you know, I, I already dealt with a sick dog before <laughs> and it wasn't fun and it wasn't easy. And I, I thought about it and I said, you know what, It's it's probably better for her that she retires and doesn't continue to work because that's not fair. You know, you got to think about the dogs first. Like Jeff said, listen to their voice because if you force a dog who doesn't want to work you know to, to work that's not very fair So, I let's you know let's retire her now and she is now happily with her trainer and uh... so during the last week of class i got my current dog who is named Neela, who's a black lab female and uh... she's a little bit older she's actually a reissue dog um, and you know she's working really well and uh you know, just, just the thing about retirement is, you know, if you don't know right away, they they'll tell you. Like Jeff said, they'll let you know for sure. And and it's definitely good to listen to the signs. Now, I I, I know someone with their dog at like fourteen years old because the dog was still working just fine. But yeah, definitely listen to your dog and, and you know, they always say follow your dog in training well. Listen to your dog when they're trying to say, "Hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting done. I don't want to do this anymore."
2: They say your dog tells you, and uh, both Matt and Jeff have mentioned that. And I talked to people in my first class who had were going for successor dogs. That's the advice they they gave, and you think, "Gosh, what, what do you mean? The dog tells you?" Well, about seven years into my career with my first dog, a chocolate lab named Augie. We're walking to the bus stop one day. I had started law school. I had a one-mile walk to the bus stop. All of a sudden, he would literally stop walking in the middle of the route. We'd get to a street corner, and he'd sit down. And it was very perplexing. Never had that problem before. I mean, I took him to the vet. I had his eyes checked. I had his joints checked. I had him. I mean, I had him tested from stem to stern. And there was there was nothing wrong. You know, I called the school. Pilot Dogs, where he came from. And the director goes, well, what do you think about retirement? And I thought, really? Well, there's nothing wrong with him. And he goes, well, you know, think about it. He's 63. Don't you think you might want to think about retirement when you're 63 years old? And I thought, yeah, probably pretty close. So, uh, went ahead and, and, uh, retired him. And then I had some, then I had some matching issues, which are, the subject of another podcast, probably. Um, And I ended up at Southeastern and got a uh, Black Lab Golden Cross named Storm. And this guy was the, I think, the smartest dog I've ever had. Um, Very intelligent, very perceptive, very loyal. But he was attacked on a Metro bus. Somebody grabbed a hold of the collar and would not let go. The passengers literally had to pry their fingers off the dog's collar, and physically he was fine, but emotionally he was shattered after that. This was not even six months after I'd been home with him. Um, you know, he would walk behind me in crowds, things like that. You know, clearly guiding is not what he—he he didn't have that confidence anymore after that happened to him. And Southeastern was great; they were collaborative. You know they they said yeah we think we think retirement is probably best you know go ahead and go ahead and place him, which was great because I could place him with somebody that I knew. Yeah, he was maybe three years old at the time, so he ended up on a friend's farm, and so I could still see him occasionally and things. But uh, that's one I always think about because the, the the potential, the sky was the limit with with Storm. I mean, he was. He was he was a great fella, um, and those are kind of the the two examples I have of the of the long relationship that that ends over time, and the dog you know the dog making that giving you that message of hey I I don't want to do this anymore, and the the sudden you know um, unexpected retirement. Those are those are the the two stories I have that that contrasted um there was a final i've had one other re- retirement situation and it was more like the first one except uh, benjamin had gotten hurt during his career um, in a pretty major way um and so i knew after that that his career might be shortened and so i actually worked with the school and you know we collaborated they came out for a visit once and i said hey i know, what do you guys think? And we, we came, I know, I know the issue of school input on retirement uh, can be, can be controversial, but in my experience, it's been more of a collaborative process, you know, where I'm saying, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that I probably need to retire him in a year. What do you guys think? How do we, how do we best implement that? How do we best transition, you know, so that it's as smooth as possible? And they, helped to work through it and we're and we're very supportive. So it's a it's a team effort, it's a collaborative effort. And they're there to support you. And so use that if you if you need it. And your friends are, are there to support you too. I I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, Oh man, when it's time for you to retire let me know if you didn't find a home you call me. I mean it got to the point where I sorta of had I've sorta of had a uh, waiting lists what I've had to try to find, a, which, which has been helpful. Cause I know that if I have to place him somewhere else, that, that he's going to go to a, to a loving home. And so that's another, um, that's another aspect of it. And I don't know, you know, we can, we can talk about, or, or you know, the first time when I retired Augie, I tried to, to keep him and have the new dog. And there were some issues there. Augie would see the harness and won't want to go with, and it didn't. It didn't really work out for him. You know that didn't work out as well. But uh, I know other people have been successful and having the the retired and the successor dog under one roof. It's a it's a transition, but uh, those those are my stories. And I think I think the theme of the day of of your dog will tell you is is a very accurate one. I think that's the best advice. You know, listen to them, and and they'll they'll help guide you when it's time.
0: Before we kind of transition, um, I know Jade, your circumstances are are a little different. So, I'll tell my mm-hmm. story first. Um, I have only yeah, sure. retired one dog, and they were we had a couple scares throughout his career, where we thought he might need to retire he was very dog distracted he <laughs> he would howl and leap at other dogs and he was very much a handful and i didn't mind that so much it was you know it was frustrating to try and get the issue worked out with him and try to get him back on track But once we did, and we had a good system for making it work, he worked pretty well. I'd had him for uh, a while, and he partially tore his cruciate ligament in his knee. He slid on a work trip, and past that point, he had to take medications just, you know, to keep the pain down. And that was, that was working. He was enthusiastic to work. And so I knew that his career might be shortened. But I kind of was assessing his willingness to, lo- to work on, you know, a day-to-day basis or even a week-to-week basis. You know, evaluating him. Is he still okay? And the, the thing with Dallas was he would always just throw his head in the harness. He was very much, okay, let's go. And he was a very sure-footed, very careful dog. But at the same time, he was a perfect pace for me at the time. Close to my three-year anniversary with him, I noticed that he was getting extremely frightened of thunder. He had had problems in the past where he, he didn't care for it, and he would shake, and he would have issues. But it never was... This bad, Uh, just after uh, my no, it was right. It was before um, he got away from me and ran off a bus that I was on around the front of the bus and into a restaurant. And he very much was starting to tell me then, "Hey, look, I can't do this. You can't, you know. I can't be under this kind of stress." And I knew that I could not plan my life around the weather. And then it started getting hot. I was in Louisiana at the time, and it was getting really, really hot, as Louisiana does. And my dog, Dallas, could not walk more than a block before he was panting extremely hard. His head would droop, and he would slow to the pace of a uh, snail. And so... We had a trainer come out and she essentially said, you know, you need to look at retirement because, you know, although we can try to fix some of these issues, there's no guarantees and he just seems done. And we had him medically evaluated and there didn't seem to be anything wrong other than his knee. And so July of 2016 he retired, and that was extremely hard for me. Because retiring a young dog, retiring a dog who is, he was four. You, you, you know, you think you get these dogs and you want to keep them until they're older. And they should, you know, you think, oh this dog should work until it's older and we should be successful. It's not always the case. And it's hard retiring a young dog because you know how the dog was. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, sometimes you've had problems since day one, but you know, you, you know how the dog could be or was, and you think, what did I do? And that's a common question, you know, when you're, when you're retiring a dog, could I have done something different to make this better? And you know, trust what your school's saying. Trust yourself. You know, because we're taught how to handle these dogs. We know how to. And it's tough when a dog can't work out because of something and it's still young. But in reality, you have to do what's best for you. And if the dog's no longer being safe, or if the dog is no longer, you know, enhancing your mobility, but it instead is inhibiting it, then that's a problem. And, you know, you have to do some serious thinking about, is it, is it time? I went through a lot with that dog. I had several trainer visits. We worked a lot on his dog issues and I felt like, you know, oh, I've worked so hard and now I'm just going to give up. It's not giving up if... You've exhausted all your options and nothing's working. I went back in very quickly after I retired Dallas because I didn't think I could handle being without a dog for a while. Not because I needed a dog necessarily, but because I knew that if I didn't go get a second dog, I would doubt myself to death and I would question whether I had done something and so i went in pretty much immediately and it was a very hard transition for me to the point that i almost had to leave seeing eye and not get my dog but man when she came running and i mean running into my life um and leaping into my life <laughs> she uh she changed my mind you know and we when we took that first walk It was like I knew that I had made the right decision. Because she was so happy and so full of energy and life. And she loves to work and pull and just be the dog that she is. And it's hard to transition. And it's hard when people don't get it. I um, heard someone compare the transition between two dogs to getting a new car and I have never wanted to punch someone so much in my life because it's not yes some people can get attached to their vehicles but it's so different the connection between you and the dog is so different and so much stronger and it's not even like Losing a pet. The pet's not with you 24-7. The pet isn't responsible for probably saving your life on a couple of occasions from crazy drivers or things you didn't see. My dog, Dallas, saved me from multiple cars, but, you know, being careless. But more than that, there was a day we were walking on campus and we came across an area and i told him to turn he wouldn't he kept spinning away from something and i just happened to have a cane on me and i reached in my backpack and pulled it out and looked it was an open hole in the sidewalk no tape around it no nothing just an open hole like they had been digging for the pipes or something it just i could have gotten seriously hurt had we fallen and he had just pulled me away from it and so you know you trust a lot in these dogs you you feel like you know you owe a lot to your dog and it's it's hard transition's never easy but sometimes you know we as handlers have to make those decisions no matter how hard they are no matter how young the dog is that. This dog, it's not fair to either me or the dog to continue working. Having a conversation with your school is important. It is a cooperative discussion between you and your school about your dog. You know, I don't think it is within the power, or it should be within the power of any school, this is just my opinion, to force any issue necessarily. I don't think that, you know, for example, an arbitrary... Your dog's got to retire at this age, period, amen. It doesn't matter about the dog. I don't agree with that. Especially because the school's not there. The school doesn't know the dog. The school doesn't know you. And some dogs I've seen work until they're 13 or 14 years old, but they want to. Most of the time, between the handler and the school, you can make a sound decision, you know... And a responsible decision without somebody forcing your hand. And, um, and I understand that like Jade, uh, and this is mm-hmm. this is your turn. Um, <laughs> the I understand that the process is a little different in the UK. So, uh, if you want to talk about the situation you're in now, so I have got my guide dog Brody. He's
4: my first dog, so I haven't retired any, any others yet. I got him back in August 2012, just before I was due to start my second year at college. But over here in the UK, when you have your training with your dog, you either go away to a hotel in London, if you're in the London team, or you can have your training done at home. Now, because I got him two weeks before I started college, they said, right, we're just going to train you from home. So we done our like local routes at home, he came back to college with me, we got him settled into college, and then six weeks after I had him, we had a situation where he very nearly had to be retired. So we had came back for our like half-term break and our instructor came up to see us. And she said, right, let's do the route to the Tesco um, store so you can go get some milk or whatever. And um, my mum decided to follow along because she'd not really seen me and Brody working together before. So we walked down there. It was about a 20-minute walk. It was a windy, rainy, horrible day. And he done fine getting us to the store, took us around to all the puddles, all the leaves on the floor and everything. So we go in, get what we need to do, and then... We're walking home, and we're about five minutes away from home, when all of a sudden he pulls out of my hand, harness on and everything, and shoots across the road. And I was like, oh my god, what, what's, what's he done? And my mum said a squirrel had literally ran out of the hedge, literally across his nose and across the road. And he just zoomed off after this squirrel. And we were yelling for him to come back, and he literally wouldn't. So my instructor had to go across the road into somebody else's garden and bring him back. And she said, right, she said, we're going to take him back to your house. She said, you cannot work him for the next couple of days. I'm going to go back to the offices now and talk to the people back there, and we're going to decide what to do. So we get him home, we take the harness off him and everything. Didn't help, but the day he'd done this was my dad's birthday. So, as you guys can imagine, I was an emotional wreck that day. And then she rings us that afternoon and she said, Right, we're going to come and collect him tomorrow. And he will go back for two weeks of training. With no one that knows him, so it'll be different people. And if he doesn't come back to you... In two weeks, he'll either be retired or we're going to send him off and he'll maybe go to be a police dog to go and work in the police force. So they came and got him the next day. And although I'd only had him six weeks, it was heartbreaking when she came and was like, right, I'm going to whip him away. I'm going to put him in the back of the van. And it was just heartbreaking thinking... I might never see him again. It was it was awful, and a few of my family aren't really dog lovers, and they were crying. They were emotional because they could see how much me and Brodie had bonded. So he goes back for training for two weeks, and they were taking him round, like, woodland areas, trying to get him used to seeing squirrels, getting him more adapted. Um, And they called me while I was back at college. And they said, right, he's had his training, we're going to give him one more chance with you. So, they they brought him back to college, and that was just so amazing to just have him back. And I have to say, since then, he's been absolutely fine. He's nearly eight years old now. And how it works over here in the UK is we don't have lots and lots of guide dog schools like you guys have we just really have the guide dogs association for the blind there are different teams so like in different areas so whereas like London, Manchester depending on where you live now Lon- the London guide dog team recommend that you retire your dog when he or she is kind of between the age of 9 and 10 so like I heard from my instructor a couple of weeks ago And he said to me, he said, right, Brody's going to be eight in December. So he said, I will come and see you in January when he's eight and see how you guys are doing. See you on a few routes and things. And then he said, I'll decide then if I need to see you every six months until he's nine or whether I will just come back and see you in January 2019 when he's nine. And then he said, what I will probably do is when he turns nine, then I will put you on the list and will either retire him when he's nine or see if he can work until he's nine and a half. So over here, they kind of tell you when your dog should retire. You don't really get that decision. But the one thing that is certain that I do know for a fact is when he does retire, he's going to go to a good home because we've said from day one that mum and dad are going to have him so he'll go to a good home and i do want to if i can apply for a second dog because he really has changed my life in the last 6 years he really really has
2: just to clarify it sounds like in the in the situation 6 years ago they i they told you what they were going to do did you did you have any input in that process or did they just call you up and say hey we're gonna we're gonna train him for two weeks i
4: literally when they got him back after he ran across the road louisa my instructor she took off the harness and she said right she said to me she goes you are gonna walk back the rest of the route with your mum." so she started guiding me home louisa had brody and she said she said right i'm not going to take the harness away but i do not want you doing anything with him um, you wait for a call from us, and then we will tell you either this afternoon or tomorrow what is going to happen.
3: That's wow.
0: unfortunate. S- I'm sorry, but it just—it is—it's very unfortunate because if a dog had bolted after a squirrel here in in the U.S., one the school probably would not have immediately taken the dog. The handler probably would have been taught by the school how to manage it either mm. by using right. whatever techniques some schools use corrections some schools use general leaders some schools <clears> use treats <throat> some schools use all of those things in combination depending on the dog but the handler would have been included in the process in the majority of cases um it's usually not yeah and dog I think- screws up once dog gets taken away Usually, not mm. how that works. I think the
4: reason why she done that was because she was there at the time and she said, I have never in the 10 years that I've been working with dogs, she said, 10 years I've been working at guide dogs, I've never seen one do that. All
0: right, folks, uh, to lighten the mood a little bit and to uh, wrap us up for today, I'm gonna have everyone, you have 60 seconds each. <clears throat> I'm counting. And you get to give us one of your favorite dog stories. It could be embarrassing, it could be funny, it could be whatever. So let's start with Matt.
3: Dog stories. Well, I would have to say dog day uh, with Neela because she is so little and just so wiggly. When uh, my instructor brought her into the Uh, room she was really kind of disinterested at first and was sniffing around and checking things out and then she came over to me and just let me love on her and she was giving me kisses and she was wagging her tail and and she has the nickname of wiggle butt because she just loves to wiggle all the time every time she wags her tail her her whole bum just moves and wags and wiggles and wiggles (laughs) and she's just such a happy little thing and yeah that's probably one of my favorite uh dog stories.
0: TJ, what about you?
2: Hey, you mentioned dog day, and I I talked about Storm earlier, and Storm, I actually got him on a Saturday, which is odd, and the reason that happened is because he was they decided to do a dog change in the middle of training, and so I got him on a Saturday, and Southeastern has a, has a play yard, so we took him out to the play yard to, to let him play. Started playing ball with him, and he figured out after about the first two runs at this that if he actually dropped the ball at my feet i would know where it was pick it up and throw it for him i mean so just the fact that he figured that out it gave me a clue right away that just how just how smart that puppy was gonna be that's a story that's always stuck with me
3: what a smart dog (laughs) yeah right my dog would do that sometimes but only if you kind of go give it here give it here and then she'll go oh okay
0: (laughs) jeff what about you
1: So as I told you before, we were married in 1988, and we asked my folks to watch Sunny for us for a few days after we got married, and that lasted for about a day when my folks called and said, your dog keeps looking for you, Sunny wants you, so we had to end up going back and getting her. So we took her home, and and we couldn't really afford a honeymoon at that time, so we just kind of hung out. At the house for a week and just kind of hid from people. Sunny had been there quite a bit, so she was definitely able to roam free. But Carrie really hadn't lived in the house that much. Now I had. It was an apartment. She was a jealous little one. We get up in the morning and all of Carrie's stuffed animals were shredded in the front room that were on the couch. All of them. It was so sad. I think the only one that survived was Marshmallow, her big, giant, white bear. That was the only thing that survived. <laughs> oh, Sunny. Yep. She was uh, very, very much a jealous little girl, but she was definitely the love of our heart. She was amazing.
0: Jade. What's your story? Yeah, so one of my
4: funny stories with Brody um, has to be one of our college mornings back in 2012. We'd finished one lecture and we walked up to our classroom for the next one. And um, I knocked on the door and it was empty. So I was like, come on, Brody, let's go inside. Let's go inside. And he would not move. He just stood there. Then he starts growling at something. I'm like, oh, what's upset you? and he starts barking and then the lecturer comes along and she's laughing she goes right come in so she takes me in she said there was a massage class in here beforehand they've got a mannequin in the corner and it's a man and he's holding up his he's got his fists in the air and obviously seeing that it really scared Brody so it, he obviously thought this man was going to attack us or something <laughs>
3: wow What <laughs> happened? Oh, wow.
0: That's great.
3: <laughs> Has anyone dogs barked at their own reflection? That's
0: yes. Funny.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> or store oh. mannequin dogs. They're like store dog, like mm-hmm. statue dogs. Yeah, Dallas did. Mm-hmm. Dallas growled at one. Yeah. Anyway,
3: uh, Neil anybody... got scared of a guy in a baseball costume. She went woof, and I'm like, whoa, okay. I, nice bark for a little I, dog.
2: I don't know if any of you have been to Washington D.C. Uh, and done the touristy things, but there's that. There's that Teddy Roosevelt uh, exhibit with uh, with uh, all of Teddy's dogs there. Uh, mm. I went to a conference there and my first dog, Augie, started barking at the Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> dog statues. It was pretty oh, hilarious. No.
4: There was a time once, we went to see The Lion King in the theatre, and um, I we had like a touch tour backstage, and they said to me, do you want to try on Scar's mask? And I said, yeah, sure. So dad was holding on to Brody while I was looking around. Um, and the next thing, I hear this whining on the other side of the room. Brody got mm-hmm. terrified because he'd seen my face disappear and then get replaced by this scary <laughs> lion mask.
3: Oh no. It was really scary. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's kind of cute, but also kind of funny at the same time.
0: I was at my first university's uh, little market that they had and I was waiting to pay for something and all of a sudden i hear giggles and i'm like what's going on and i feel something weird going on with my dog's face and i reached down and he's chewing on something <clears throat> i quickly grabbed his face opened his mouth and retrieved said object it was a resealable cup in the foil <laughs> This dog oh, no. had stolen oh. one of those little mini Reese cups. Had it halfway down his throat. I kid you not. The, oh, oh, I was so embarrassed. The cashier's like, I was oh. like, I'll pay for it. She's like, No, don't worry about it. It's hilarious. I'm like, No, it's not. After that day, I had to watch him around candy because he was such a candy fiend. All right, folks, that'll do it for episode nine of the podcast. Jeff, where can people find you online?
1: Feel free to get a hold of me on Twitter by following at Jeff Bishop. That's J-E-F-F-B-I-S-H-O-P. Or you can email me at jeff at jeffbishop.com.
0: Jade, how about you? Where can people find you online?
4: Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. It's at Jade Sharp 1992 So J A D E. S H A R P one nine nine two. And you can also do the same thing on Facebook. So facebook.com dot slash Jade Sharp nineteen ninety two. And Matt, what about you?
3: You can find me uh, producing content for iaccessibility.net. You can email me at Matt, M A T T, at iaccessibility.net. And you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Durkins, that's M A T T D I E R C K E N S.
0: TJ, what about you? If
2: you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at uh, BlindGuy234. Uh, you can also send me email uh, to Tmalloy83, that's M-E-L-O-Y-8-3, at iCloud.com, Tmalloy83 at iCloud.com.
0: And you can find me, Aaliyah Deadly, producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at Aaliyah, that's A-L-E-E-H-A, at iAccessibility.net, and you can follow me on Twitter, at blindcowgirl199 you can find the podcast by following podcast that's p-a-w-d-c-a-s-t underscore show on twitter you can find all of iaccessibility's content at iaccessibility.net you can follow us on twitter at iaccessibility1 and email us for podcast specific feedback at podcast at iaccessibility.net All right, folks, it's been a great show, and I really appreciate everybody coming out and sharing your stories. We will see you in the month of October. Maybe our 60-second stories will be the scariest stories ever. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, folks, and have a good day.